0: Well, good evening, my friends, good evening, forgive my tardiness, we lost track of time in our other meeting and uh, we found ourselves uh, running short on time. It is a delight to be together again this evening, so let us begin with a brief word of prayer and we'll dive right in. Gracious Jesus, thank you for loving us and putting us together. Thank you for the chance to open your word tonight, and thank you, Lord, for the clarity that it provides. It may not tell us everything we want to know, but, Lord, it tells us a whole lot more than we would know without it. So I ask, Father, your blessings over this time of study. Help us, Lord, to know your peace through this. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Revelation 21. I'm going to start by saying... Probably I'm going to disappoint some of you, maybe even many of you, this week and next, because there are many things that are questions about heaven that Scripture simply does not answer. Isn't that disappointing? I want to encourage you, though, for a rather complete treatment of the topic of heaven, I want to encourage you to grab a copy of Randy Alcorn's book entitled Heaven. It is a fabulously written piece that is not that old. Um, I encourage you to grab a copy. You better hurry, though, if you want the one the library has, because no doubt, as soon as the library opens, somebody will get it. If you want to download it to your Kindle or your iPad, then by all means, feel free to do so. I encourage you to recognize that the Bible has much to say about heaven. It's just not all in Revelation. Let's read Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, All things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I'll be his God and he'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable... As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Herein is the testimony that we have regarding the initiation of the New Eden. When we see this testimony, we are left with one Foundational question, are there parallels between the Garden of Eden and the New Jerusalem? You saw the title this morning, perhaps, that I hung on this, Eden Restored. Quite right, for we can be sure there are indeed parallels between these. When we lay them against one another, then we might see some of these parallels. Let's start with Genesis, heaven and earth created. That's in Genesis 1. But in Revelation 21, new heavens and a new earth are created, supplanting the old. In Genesis, the sun is created. But in Revelation, there's no need for a sun, and we'll talk about this next week, because the light is the glory of God himself. In Genesis, night is created. But in Revelation, there's no darkness. In Genesis, the seas are created. But in Revelation, there are no seas. In Genesis, the curse is announced. In Revelation, the curse is lifted. In Genesis, death enters. In Revelation, death is destroyed. In Genesis, man is driven from the tree of life. In Revelation, man is restored to paradise. In Genesis, sorrow and pain begin. In Revelation, no more tears, no more pain. My hope in paralleling these was to help you see that Revelation 21, and that, that which follows, Is what God meant for us to have from the beginning. Why did it go away? We surrendered it, friends. We surrendered it. You might say, well, I didn't. It was that doggone Adam and Eve. Well, indeed. But had it made all the way down to when I was born, I'm quite sure I would have, with my brokenness, found a way to lose it. With humility, I will say we lost it. The good news is Christ knew that too. That's why he came. Remember what we talked about this morning, to provide us cover, right? To cover us and to bring us with that covering to the Eden he meant for us to have from the very beginning. I wonder if somebody has a question they want to talk about before we move on to that. I'll take that as a no. Let's press on. This is a question, the second one, that I, I, I talked about this morning, but only in passing. Will this present heaven and earth be destroyed or renovated? I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been a part of a home renovation project. But if you have, let me say this, blessings upon you. Because every time you start one of those, what happens? It gets bigger, doesn't it? It gets wider. It gets deeper. Well, we've come this far. We've got to fix this too. This is the essence of why I believe the earth will be destroyed, not renovated. See specifically verse 1 of chapter 21 a new heaven, a new earth. Kynos is the word that is used there. It is not a word that we generally associate with a renovation project, but rather a starting over project. Will this shift be a dramatically new one or a renovated one? Well, Randy Alcorn, just after I told you to read his book, says it will be a renovated one a renewed, improved one that declares God's glory in renewed fashion. I think he has missed it, but only by a shade. When we look through Scripture, these passages I've provided for you, it seems more likely that it will be destroyed and replaced. These, taken individually, suggest that there is something better yet ahead for us. The problem that most of us struggle with is that we can't see it from here. Well, Aaron, how can it be any better than what we already have? This is an excellent question. I'd love to tell you, but I just don't know either. I know that it, as God says it will be a new heaven and a new earth, that I can rest, that it will be. And that's enough. Based on this evidence, then, I think we can say with some level of assuredness, this will be a destroyed heaven and earth and a replacement. Let's talk about the relationship between the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. Much has been made about the new Jerusalem. And most of it related to The old one. Can I say it that way without being unkind? Sometimes when you say the old one, it's a a, a slight, an insult. I don't intend it to be. I don't think of Jerusalem, the current one, as an unimportant place or a place that is to be regarded lightly. But likewise, I don't think of it as the new Jerusalem either. I, I want to call your attention to this because when we see these three features of the eternal state, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, this, this moment in time compels us to see it as something distinct from the existing one. You'll get a taste of this next week as well. The, the idea is this city coming down out of heaven from God is distinct from the Jerusalem that is rooted at the base of the Mount of Olives. Doesn't mean they're completely separate, but perhaps they're not identical either. Some have suggested that it will be like a suspended city, hovering above the new earth like a giant satellite city. Any Star Wars fans? Yeah, I knew I'd get one hand. I brought him with me. In Star Wars, Josh, is there a suspended city? Right. The most famous one is Coruscant, where the Federal Senate lives and is the sort of capital of that part of the galaxy. Is it possible that the New Jerusalem will be like Coruscant? Some of you are going to Google that right now. Coruscant, how do I spell that? eh? Email me later and I'll send it to you. Or you can do better and just watch, uh, what's the first movie it appears in, Josh? Attack of the Clones, isn't it? Yeah. So we might have seen those movies a few times too many. He'll forgive us while we just talk among ourselves. Scripture is not explicit how Jerusalem will be situated. But it does say in verses 4 and 5, the new Jerusalem will be part of the new order and perhaps even the capital city. Under God's authority, then, this new connection will come down out of heaven to serve as a home for God's people and a hub for this new order. What kind of hub will this be? Yeah, see me later. I'm not trying to skirt the question, but rather, we just don't have enough information to say conclusively what kind of hub it will be. The Bible does not provide us with a demographic or geologic answer to that. What it does say is that there will be a new Jerusalem. It will come down out of heaven from God. It will have features that we'll talk about Sunday of next week. It will be designated by the presence of God. There will be no temple because no temple is necessary since God himself is there. And we can rest there. Because we have overcome by the word, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. This, friends, this is a moment in time that the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem come together. Now, what kind of new heaven, earth, and Jerusalem will this be like? It will be distinct from our own. You know, anytime we travel to Jerusalem, if I'm honest, I'm a little nervous Some of you just came from the meeting where we were talking about trip to Israel. Don't take that personally. Don't let it talk you out of the trip either. Rather, go with me back to the first time I was in Jerusalem. We were at the King David Hotel. My friend John and I were on the fourth floor. We had the windows open because there was no air conditioning. It was in March, so it was okay. And all of a sudden, the wail of air raid sirens went off. To say that John and I froze and stared at one another for a long second would be an understatement. There had been attacks on Jerusalem earlier that same year. It had delayed our trip at the the end of the previous year. We had planned to come in December of 1989 instead of the spring of 1990. But because of those attacks, we postponed it. It was a dive for the phone to call the front desk to find out if we should come down and hide in the bomb shelter that they had indicated for us. A sigh of relief as they said, no, they're just testing them today. This, this moment where we didn't know if it was a test or not won't be necessary in the New Jerusalem. Aren't you glad for that? They won't need the Iron Dome. They won't need the protections of the UN or anybody else, for that matter. This new Jerusalem will be distinct from our current one in every possible way. Questions you might have about the last two questions. Sorry, I skipped past you on that last one. All right, then let's press ahead. Now, I wanted to talk about this a little further this morning. This, our last question for the night. What is the significance of Jesus' declaration, Behold, I'm making everything new? I wanted to talk about this a little more, because it is indeed near and dear to my heart. It's near and dear to me because I think it is to God, too. When we were created in the Garden of Eden, we were perfect. So says Genesis 131. And God saw that he'd made, and it was good. But through our own sinful choices, we gave that perfection away. We mentioned that a moment ago. Burdened by sin and death, we were prone to weakness, brokenness, and sickness. Now, not all sickness is due to sin, let's be clear. But all death is due to sin. That's the case in every context, simply because penalty of sin is death through christ however we've been made a new creation so says second corinthians 5:21 we've been given a second birth so says jesus in john 3 as good as that is however it doesn't change the physical nature of our broken bodies limited by time and space one of the hardest parts of my job is to stand with the family as a loved one breathes their last. I've been there more times than I'd like to remember, and it doesn't get any easier. One might think it does, but shepherds have souls too. The idea that Jesus is making everything new, though, takes just a little of the sting out. One particular saint I think about was my friend Dave. I've shared with you about Dave before. Dave was instrumental in my life when I was a young man, high school student and college student, really even until I was in seminary in my, my mid-twenties. Dave had cerebral palsy. He walked like a washing machine that was off balance. Some have criticized that description when I've used it before, but it's the one that Dave used of himself, so I'll continue to do so. Dave struggled with many things in life, and the limitations were a frustration to him. He did not like using the handicap tag that the state of Texas required of him. He did not like having the handicap plate that announced for the world he was handicapped. He did not like the limitations of his body. Now, we took full advantage of it. At Six Flags Over, Texas, if you go with someone who is handicapped, they'll let you come in the exit, and they will let you, as the handicapped person, bring someone with you. You walk in the exit, and you walk straight to the front of the line. The next vehicle that comes through is the one that you get on. Never mind if Dave actually wanted to ride that ride. We encouraged it just the same. It's been 30 years now since my friend Dave died, 1993. There are not many days that go by when I don't think about how Dave has been made new. He died in El Paso. He was there doing mission work, and the cerebral palsy finally caught up to him. Hardly 40 years old, but for one who struggles with cerebral palsy, that's a long life. Dave, Dave slipped away into eternity before any of us could even get there. My first thought when my friend David called me to tell me that Dave had passed was this very statement Behold, I'm making everything new. It reminds me of a dream that I had. Our first church was a little church in Corsicana, Texas. There was a sweet, sweet lady who was on crutches because of some back and leg ailments earlier in her life. Those crutches might have had her, but she didn't have them. She certainly didn't let it slow her down. She was active in our teaching She was active in our music. She was active in our discipleship. For a church of only about 35 or 40 people, Miss Betty was ubiquitous. She was everywhere. Not long after our son was born, Miss Betty slipped away. She died and went home to be with Jesus. And not long after her funeral, I had a dream one night. Never happened to me before, and I've never shared about it publicly that I can recall. I dreamt that we were at McDonald's. You might say, that's a nightmare, Darren, not a dream. <laughs> Go with me on it just the same, won't you? I had a dream, they were at McDonald's, and our son was in a high chair at the end of the table. Julie and I were seated there together. and I looked up, you know how you feel like somebody's watching you. I looked up, and there was our friend Betty. But instead of the hunched over posture that I'd always seen her holding onto her crutches, she was standing tall and straight with a broad smile on her face waiting for me to notice her. And I looked up at her and I said, Betty, you look incredible. Whoa. Look at you standing there. You don't need crutches at all. She said, I just came to tell you I'm all good, Darren. She turned and walked out the door, and I woke up. That dream was a long time ago now. You see how old our son is. I've never forgotten it. And that, friends, is why the declaration I'm making everything new is so profound. It's much more than a theological premise. It is a statement of his authority to make all things new. They are his to recreate. And so tonight, this renewal that changes us is more than just a passing one. If he made these bodies new, they would grow old again. But instead, he makes our glorified bodies new, and that's changed permanently. Let's pray together and we'll enter our business session. Gracious Jesus, thank you for the promise that you do indeed make everything new. This declaration, Lord, is one that I hold lovingly. You know, Lord, how many times I've shared it with families that have lost people they love Thank you tonight, Lord, that we can say conclusively it's not just for funerals. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the hope that that brings and that you would secure us to it so that when we arrive at a place where our mortality overcomes us and death comes in a cold wave, we don't fear it. We don't fear it because we need not fear it. You are waiting to make us new. We lift up our business session tonight. Will you use it for your glory? Help us to be wise and discerning stewards. And to thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you will do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.